welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. Today, we will be answering the bloody stupid question, how did thinking about humanity's graduate attributes guide the God Emperor of Dune's golden path? And answering that today, it's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us, me, Mike Collins, <laughs> imposter in Jeremy Incarnate and learning designer at the Open University, and... And me, Mark Childs, uh, a guy with a PhD in education. Daft question, is your microphone the right way around? I don't think it is. For fuck's sake. Oh, Mark. <laughs> does that sound better? It does, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, um, we've got a webcam showing, and I was just like, that's something strange about Mark's microphone. It looks almost back to front. Mark has been talking into the back of his microphone, and we've been on a call for about 20 minutes at this point, so that's... Um, yeah, I thought, what a, what a strangely echoey room Mark's recording in today. Nope, microphone was backwards. Cool, good start, strong start. Yeah. You sound lovely now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just the two of us today, like, a, like an old school um, mm-hmm. recording. We haven't had one of these for a while. Uh, yeah, no, okay, feels different. Yeah, um, at least uh, only you see me with my microphone back to front, which is pretty good. Yeah. And 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 the world can see it in their own The world can hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's just jump straight into it then by breaking apart the bloody stupid question. Part one, the question. Okay, so how did thinking about humanity's graduate attributes guide the God Emperor of Dune's golden path? So two components here. Dune, God Emperor, um, mm-hmm. although not God Emperor of Dune, which is of course just one of the books in the Dune series. And uh, graduate attributes. So, uh, which we start with, June? Where do you want to start? Yeah, okay, okay. Can, uh, can, can uh, I give yeah, okay. my can I give my muggles? Yeah. Quick summary of June, and then Mark can give because Mark has had this idea for this episode for a while. So, for the most part, it's going to be Mark making his very strong case for his question. So, I'm going to throw in the the tiny crumbs I'm able to now, uh, and then I'll, I'll hide in my hole for the rest. So, June, Frank Herbert's fantastic mega space opera, which sets so many brilliant sci-fi conventions a fantastic series of books following the adventures and descendants of paul atreides a i want to make sure i get this right bane jerisit i can never i i know how i read it benny jesserit benny jesserit i wasn't far off no no you know how when you read it on the page and your brain just sort of goes yeah that's fine who's sort of like a combination empath slash uh, human computer and basically uh, extrapolates the entire future of humanity from a really cool drug trip having ingested some of the spice produced on the planet of arrakis uh, otherwise known as june uh spice being produced by these fancy massive mighty sandworms uh, and the spice is the key to uh, navigation in this uh, this universe uh, used by navigators to enter a crazy state where they can navigate the the warps uh, and whiz around the place and yeah it's just kind of like it's it's the oil of the future everybody wants it you can only get on this one planet so it's hotly contested and the entire series of books are basically uh, a sort of a procedure of Paul Atreides and Leto II's descendants uh, following or acting out the steps of his golden path, this future that he sees for humanity and puts into motion whereby uh, humanity can break uh, the bonds of its own uh, stellar seclusion and spread out into the universe so that's kind of my summary i guess of june now how much of that did i get wrong oh well none of it i I think the golden path's more associated with leto so basically there's quite a few leto atreides in the in the books as his father 
Paul's father, who sort of is the guy, the Duke who takes over the planet. And then he names his first son Leto, but that son is killed in an attack by, uh, during the war that Paul fights with the Harkonnens. And then he has another son also called Leto, and one of twins. And so this then becomes Leto II, and this Leto becomes the God Emperor. And it's kind of his golden path that really stakes out the future for humanity and that sort of thing. One of the unfortunate prerequisites for this golden path to work is that Leto has to bond with a sand trout, which is the sort of larval form of these sandworms. And so these sand trouts bond with his skin, and then he gradually turns into this creature that's half human and half sandworm. Well, sort of 5% human and 95% sandworm. But he is very proud of his hands. I remember that distinctly. Yes. Basically, he's, he's a pair of hands and he's a face, and that's about it. I suppose the other thing we should touch on is canon, uh, which is that because the six novels that Frank Herbert wrote, and then afterwards his son and, uh, was it Kevin J. Anderson, wrote massive amounts more. Yeah, they've got a very different flavour, I think. Well, in that they're a bit shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to like phrase it like that, but yes, they, <laughs> they are distinctly less not shit. Oh, the key thing I think that you probably we should also mention is that the reason why he's a human computer is that actual computers have been banned. Oh, yes, because AI fear. The Butlerian Jihad, yeah. Um, so there's a, yeah, there's an uprising by somebody called Butler, and she led this war, holy war, against computers, and since then they're a complete anathema. And so everyone who wants to do anything like computing has to become a human computer called a mentat, and so that's kind of important too. And it's forbidden to be a, a mentat and a benjurisit. Oh, I'll do it every night. Ben a... Bene Gesserit. Bene yeah. Gesserit, sorry. It is, it, it, it is unthinkable, but it happens. And the crazy interaction is what produces our funky Paul Atreides. Yeah, because there's Bene Gesserit as sort of they're a kind of group of priestesses sort of thing. And then there's the emperor, who's also a powerhouse. And then there's the Ixians, who create machines and sort of cross over the line in creating machine you know machines that think and then you've got the benny tlilax who do bioengineering and that sort of stuff so it's mainly around the different byzantine connections and power plays between these different groups really and the impact that leto has leto the second by becoming this god emperor is that instead of having all these different warring factions or competing factions he basically becomes a tyrant that runs the known galaxy and imposes his golden path on the humanity yeah yeah did i did i get the golden path right yeah well i think that's more or less what it is in order for humanity to survive leto has to create peace for a thousand years well he lives to be about three thousand or four thousand if he can create peace and stagnation for that length of time then when he dies the release of this sense of being stagnated for so long will create this urge to scatter and therefore exit the, the known galaxy and go into the unknown bits of the galaxy and thereby preserve mankind because he foresees that longer term if if uh, humanity doesn't spread out into the galaxy then it will basically stagnate and die but the other thing we should note is that paul is prescient he takes this spice and he can see the future and so can the Spacing Guild. That's how they navigate, because you have to be able to see into the future in order to travel faster than light. And so does Leto. And Leto, when he sees this golden path, 
he sees all these myriad ver- versions of the future and he sees one laid out actually as a kind of path of gold and so he follows that but then that's why it's called a golden path it's quite literally a golden path as far as his sort of mind's eye yeah and and he's, he literally engineers his own destruction to do this, which is really cool. Like, it turns out that he was behind his own kind of grisly destruction, although we're going to definitely get too far into the books if we go down this. But it's, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely spoilers. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the books have been out for about 300 years now, so it's uh, it's fair game. There's no sandworms left by the fourth book, so there's no spice. So then he has to repopulate Arrakis uh, with sandworms. So it's kind of pretty much... Um, signpost did what's going to happen by the end of the book but you know yeah yeah we don't want to give all the ending away i guess so that's june Mm -hmm. gradual attributes i suppose we could announce now that we're working on a book based on the podcasts i mean i don't know whether it's your plan all along whether you had your own little golden path there with your own little sort of prescience (laughs) if you put all the all the different episodes together they do actually form quite a good introduction to all the basics of different approaches to learning and teaching and also all the different stages of creating learning design because you know we're both learning designers but i thought there was one bit that one gap was the gap that looks at graduate attributes which is why i thought it'd be good to do this and i think one of the things you're looking at when you're we talked about well you talked to liz about critical pedagogy and about the context for education and the reasons for it and all those sorts of things and then there's the step after that which is about constructive alignment and creating learning outcomes but bridging those two things i think that's where this whole graduate attributes fits so a graduate attribute is your idea of what the people who finish their degree what kind of people they will be so it's partly about what they will learn but it's more about what are their lives going to be like what are they going to be doing what impact are they going to have on the world and i think that partly comes from policy so the university decides we're going to have these policies about what students are going to be like. So Durham's, I wrote this bit down, Durham's is that our graduates are responsible, inspiring, challenging, innovative, and enabling. I don't know quite what all those things mean. And then they added that to those recently for, if you follow the Guardian newspaper for reasons that will be blindingly obvious, they've also (laughs) added respectful to that list. So that's what a Durham graduate will be like. That's university policy. It's a bit vague, but I think if you talk to the people who you're working as a learning designer with, and you ask them, before they start thinking about what's going to go into their course, if they think about what is that graduate going to be doing in their life, if they're in a study in econ- economics, are they going to become economists? If so, as an economist, what will they be doing? What things will they need to be able to understand? But it's not just about knowing economics. It's about how will they use this ethically? What will their values be? Will they be honest? Will they give good advice to banks or will they try and you know kind of rip people off or whatever huh i think yeah just sorry just yeah sure i just i thinking like graduate attributes i often hear them conflated with graduate outcomes Mm. and thinking about this i'm thinking that it's really important to separate the two out because i suppose graduate outcomes is by the end of this you will have yeah done whereas graduate attributes are the things that you're taking forwards based on this this is kind of like the end state um, abilities and mm. traits that you're looking for a person to be able to take forwards in their lives. Yeah, by the end of this, you will be. It's about becoming something. I think, and I think this gets overlooked. One of the things that I noticed with the economists was there was an implicit thing that they were talking about when they were talking about inequalities or the role of capitalism or you know the way that different companies run the world and stuff. They got 
pissed off. <laughs> they were angry. They were talking about it. And, you know, it was like that they have this, this value about actually we should be more equal. Poor people shouldn't be as poor as they are. Rich people should not be exploiting them the way they're exploiting them. Mm. As they talked, it wasn't just about these philosophers and economists and things like that and about moving money around. There was a real anger there about the way the world's constructed. And I had to stop them and go, you sound really angry when you're talking about this. Do you want to create that same same level of anger in your students, uh, inequity? And they went, yeah, I suppose we do. But then never, that was never explicitly stated. Mm. That was a, grad, you know, a graduate attribute of an economics degree. Should be really, really pissed off with you know, who's making the decisions, how do banks control our spending, all these sorts of things. How do we unpick all those sorts of, that sort of aspect of the world and try and make it better? Because you know, that's one of the things we've seen more recently is that there are a lot of people trying to make it a lot worse. So I think that's where when you're talking about graduate attributes and what people are going to be, it's like, well, what, not only what are we doing this course for? And then ultimately, I suppose, why are we teachers? Why are we doing this? What is the change that we want to bring out about with our students, you know, with our world? I mean, this is where the critical pedagogy thing comes in, is if we want students who are going to be critical. Yeah, because you like question your educators. What, uh, what designs do they have for you, uh, either benevolent or malevolent? Well, this is where, you know, this is one of the sort of the, the aspects of critical pedagogy is that there's two definitions. One of them is about making people critical of the world. And the other one is also about making you critical of what you're learning. And I think the problem is, is that if you're too adamant about the one and not about the other, you can end up, you know, being too dogmatic and too one-sided. So it's about giving your students critical faculties to detect your own, you know, our own bullshit. The biggest problem is that this has been pretty much co-opted by the employability agenda. <laughs> so I noticed. Yes, I have noticed this. It's it's unfortunately become a bit of a, a checkbox exercise in that regard. I feel for an, a couple of reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, like. All of my examples from the Open University in Durham, because those are the ones that, you know, where I was learning design most recently. And the Open University ones, the only things that are close to being graduate attributes are all determined by the employability people. And employability is useful. It's good to have a job, but it's life is more more than that. Well, I think I think it's a result of the um, the environment as much as anything. I think it's um, there's a lot of external pressure for universities to be showing that what? We're not making thinkers. No, we're making productive mm. drones for the economy. I think that's very much the prevailing wind of the uh, the narrative at the moment for <laughs> funding of HE, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think that needs to be kicked back against because, you know, it's that's not the market. Yeah. To judge the quality of the education by how much people learn at the, earn at the end of it rather than what they learn is... Um, so it misses the point a bit, doesn't it? And I think that's where considering attributes works a bit better because there are things that you can say, these are the things that you will be by the end of it. And if you're in work, then you can bring this to your work. If you're not in work, then you can do bring this to your life or to your community or to your family or whatever. Hmm. Because ultimately, the point of us being here is to try and make everyone's lives a bit better, everyone else's lives a bit better as well. I don't know. I often feel that the point of um, education and academia specifically actually is for one person existentially screaming at the universe to want other people to be able to join in. Well, if that makes everyone feel better, then that's a good attribute. <laughs> you know, it's like, are you as mad as hell and not going to take it anymore? You know, and then if you want everybody else yelling that from their window as well, um, then, you know, then maybe that's what we need to be striving for. I think that's why they're important. And I think that's why whenever I'm doing learning design workshops, I start with that. 
and try and get people to refocus on attributes. You can meet all of these different requirements that people have by making them all explicit and then turning those into learning outcomes. So, you know, it's like, well, they will acquire this skill because they want to be able to do this in their communities. But yeah, but just acquiring the skills in a vacuum with, without really understanding why they're doing it, without having a vision of who that person's going to be at the end of it, can leave us open to missing the point a bit, really. Yeah, I mean, my, my experience actually of having these kinds of discussions in learning design sessions myself has actually been that it seems to be much more productive having them at a qualification level than a module level. Oh, because yeah. Because it's easier to see that top level kind of journey at a qualification level okay you know they the, they come in as unformed clay and they come out the other <laughs> end as a neuroscientist with a passion for world peace or something mm-hmm. you know it's, it's much easier to talk about and contextualize them. and then you're able to kind of propagate that throughout yeah. um the individual kind of module components as you go through hmm. yeah that's my two cents on that i'll i'll hush up now have we have we covered the um the first part do you think I think so. We've covered what June is, I think. Yeah, we've covered what June is. We've covered... Okay, should we move on then to the second part? Move on to the next, yeah. So, with June broken down and graduate attributes broken down, let's re-attack our question in the second part of the show. Part two. The answer. Okay, how did thinking about humanity's graduate attributes guide the God Emperor of June's golden path? Mark... Oh hell! I thought I thought a lot about the first bit of this, and I hadn't really thought all the way through to this bit. Wait, what? You've been oh, you've been bagging on about this episode for <laughs> two and a half years. No, yeah, I know. Um, so uh, let me think. Oh shit! No, it's because <laughs> I wanted to talk about June, and I wanted to talk about graduate attributes, but I hadn't really thought all the way through putting the two together. <laughs> okay, no, let me let me think. Hang on, hang on. Do you want down? What I'll do is I'll give you five minutes to bullshit. I'll have a quick wee. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll just leave some dead air and then you can cut it out. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll just leave some dead air. <laughs> oh, okay. That was a. Was that better? That was a. Uh, yeah, that was a. What's the word? Enlightening wee. <laughs> so i've got an answer as well so we're, okay we're, okay that's brilliant okay so we're we're back uh we've both had an opportunity to think about the answer to the question that, <laughs> we, that we had um let's have a bash um sh- do you want to go first uh, yeah the... sure yeah okay yeah go on. i mean if, if anything i i feel actually yeah i will go first i will go first yeah, okay go so on. how did thinking about humanity's graduate attributes guide the god emperor of june's golden path um, so I think the God Emperor, obviously, he looks forward, he is prescient, he looks forward into the future and sees this realm of possibilities, including those where humanity does sort of stay in its little galactic bubble, stagnate, uh, and then ultimately kind of collapse in on itself. And so looks at the attributes that are required for people to progress beyond this. I think a lot of them are actually displayed by it's a character we've not really referred to much, but Duncan Idaho. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a go-getting, adventuring spirit, a uh, an overcoming of of obstacles. Uh, he basically looks at them and goes that they need to be able to innovate, they need to be able to progress, to look forward themselves, to cooperate, and to basically be willing to break free from the uh, the well, as you said earlier the Byzantine structures into which they have been born and go out and forge their own 
uh, forge their own destinies, except it's not really forging their own destinies because it's very much the one that he picked for them. Yeah. So that's what that's essentially what I think is he looked at where he thought that things were going and then identified the attributes for all of humanity. Uh, and I think in some part, a lot, sort of, a lot of them represented by uh, the Gola, Duncan Idaho, to, uh, to sort of encourage with his, his machinations and actions. That's my, that's my two cents. What about you, Mark? What, what, what do you think? Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And um, yeah, having a go getting Gola, you know, that you keep on bringing back and bringing back. So the, the thing about, uh, we mentioned the Benny Tleilax do this whole bioengineering and they can actually resurrect people from corpses again spoiler um and so he has this ideal human that he keeps on returning and bringing back and of course a good mate of his father's and then uses him for as in the bloodlines through reproduction and eugenics gradually creating more and more superhuman beings uh, that he surrounds himself with so that's kind of also where he sees humanity going a bit i think so he has this idea of people being maybe a bit more superhuman a bit more powerful maybe desiring to get away and have this scattering just by kind of pattern numbers of people means that you've got actually more likely to preserve. Because it all goes wrong a bit, perhaps, because of, in the scattering, the honoured matres are created and they come back and cause more problems. But then maybe that's all part of his bigger plan and Frank Herbert died before we got to see what was going to happen, you know, in books seven and eight and so on. And being, maybe getting this balance right between not this cycle of peace and stagnation and all-out war, but just being active and powerful and yet not so insane that they create their own downfall. Yeah. He, he kind of he creates he creates the environment mm. in which those attributes can develop and kind of progress towards the outcome that he's yeah. after. So he's creating he's creating, as you said earlier, that kind of that pressure cooker effect of uh, of bottled up oppression which causes an <laughs> explosion. And he's also, I mean, we we didn't mention earlier he's well, you did mention he's um, one of twins. Mm. Uh, so it feels like every other character is the second great 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 grand cousin twice removed of a duncan or a what's the sister's name i can't remember ganima so i mean he's on one hand he's kind of creating um kind of the environment for these attributes to uh to foster and, and be demonstrated at the same time he's sort of indirectly bred a race of superhumans mm. or transhumans we could say yeah and by being the ultimate tyrant he he hopes they'll create or plans to create a humanity that wants no more tyrants. Mm. I mean, looking, thinking more about it as well is that that's not how you go about doing learning design. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to actual an outcome for your students, you model that behaviour and then you encourage it and you summatively, formative and summatively assess it, and then you gradually build up those abilities. You don't actually create a, a scenario in which they can never portray those attributes, and then when you're gone and when the training's finished they go off and do the exact opposite i don't think in practice that kind of would really work but then of course he has the advantage of seeing it in his mind's eye what the future would hold and so therefore he's kind of cheating a bit there really but still i don't think that would work that would we wouldn't recommend that as a being an appropriate way to do learning design well unless you're a behaviorist i mean i think from a behaviorist perspective it's probably it's, it's quite pavlovian really isn't it I'm yeah. going to make a tyrant so horrible that 2,000 years from now, your descendants, 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 descendants will even then be like, nope, no more tyrants for me, please. <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... no, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it was Lee. I mean, I get the impression by the end of book six in the hexology that um, it was leading up to something. They've kind of done this deal with the honored matres and 
the, the, the question is, why have the Honored Matres come back from these far distant spaces in the galaxy, places in the what galaxy? Was chasing them? What were they running from? And then, so then it's building up to this ultimate threat that was out there that we don't know what that was. And then that's why also he had to create transhumans and this urge to this drive to go out and this drive to be independent of tyranny and these sorts of things was that's the best format for or the best kind of sort of people for the final confrontation yeah but we never get to that final confrontation and i mean maybe brian herbert came up with one but i wouldn't i don't <laughs> think that would be the same as frank herbert's vision so i think we've probably answered the question i think the interesting thing is actually going to be seeing how we can apply this forwards to um practical tips for your own pedagogy okay again something i've not thought about so let's do that in the third part of the show Part 3. Practical Tips. Okay, so practical tips for your own practice, which actually comes in with practical tips for your own practice feels like a redundant phrase. Tautology. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a tautology, I always wondered. Um, Practical tips for your own educating... For your own... um, Tips for your own practice. Tips for your own practice. Let's do that. Bam. Yeah, okay. Section (laughs) renamed. Done. It's only taken three years. Yeah. (laughs) So... Leto II is driven. He has his vision of the future. It's a really clear vision. He knows what he's out to get. And this then informs everything else that he does in his life. It even actually then determines the nature of his death as well. Now, we're not suggesting you go that far. (laughs) But I think one of the things that's really important is that if you're an educator, if you're designing a course, uh, and I think, Mike, you're absolutely right. Mike, why did I say Mike? Obviously, I'm talking to you. You're the only person there. (laughs) (laughs) That you're absolutely right that it has to be done at the program level because that then those outcomes then filter down because you know it's it's all leading towards this output of the student you want your students to be, and so I think having that vision, having that determination, and having those values that actually mean you want to make a difference in the world, and then using that to inform what you do in the way that you work with your students, design your courses, design this path for them, whether it's golden or not. Um, I think those are essential things to bring to what you do. I think if you're missing that, then, you know, you're not part of the solution. I'm not going to say go as far as say you're part of the problem, but I think there is a chance that you can solve things through education. And I think having that vision of where your students are going to be at the end of the degree then can actually guide you towards maybe making a difference in the world. Yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's how I'd – I think that's my tip. No, no, I like it. I think it's a good tip. Um, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a, a, a good tip. The only one I've got really relates to something, again, it's another kind of thread of the stories that we haven't really touched upon. But uh, in the latter books, kind of once, uh, once Lisa II, the tyrant, is dead, everything kind of goes to shit. It's, it's awful. Everybody's having a horrible time. Uh, various cults are springing mm. up everywhere. Um, and I'm gonna, I suppose I'm just going to bang my usual transparency drum of just saying, if people don't know what your intentions are, they're going to argue about it. They're going to factionalize over it. It's going to be a bit weird. I'd say just be a bit transparent with what it is you're trying to do, people. No, I think you're absolutely right about the transparent pedagogy. But I think actually, Leto II is transparent about them because he has these, you know, there's the writings of Daris Balat, isn't there? So um, hidden journals. He's transparent with his hidden journals. Okay. <laughs> but they are <laughs> hidden journals for a while, but his intention is that these would then be discovered. And Siona Atreides then finds these in this uh, no space where they're all hidden away and they become revealed. So he is, he's hiding what 
the intention behind all of his golden path is. But he is transparent in that he's written it all down, and then this emerges and becomes well known once he's once he's died. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think you need to be clearer about it. But maybe he should have been a bit clearer while he was doing it rather than leaving it as a sort of thing for everyone to find as an historical artifact. Maybe that would have been tailed off even more neatly in the last book or books that we never we never got. Yeah. Um, which I guess is my final tip for Mr. Martin of the George R. R. variety. <laughs> Nobody lives done. forever, George R. R. <laughs> We've seen what you eat. You are not living a sustainable lifestyle. Write the last bloody book yes. before you croak. Although, as I think it was Neil Gaiman said, George R. R. Martin is not your bitch. <laughs> Meaning that actually he can live his life the way he wants to and he doesn't owe you the final books in the se- sequence. I know. I just I just feel as much as anything that... Um, and actually, you're, you're totally right. You're absolutely, absolutely right. But it would be it would be frustrating. I'm not going to start reading him until I know he's finished it off, you know, just in case. Um, okay, cool. Okay. So I think, I think we've done mm. it. Satisfied? You got that out of your system? Do you feel? I that- feel that that will fall, that will slot in very nicely into the plan I've got for the books. That's good. Yes. So I, I do. I do. Yeah. And I did want to talk about Dune. I <laughs> said, <laughs> so do you feel like you've exercised um, that, that need within yourself for both Dune and uh, yes. graduate? Attributes? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Let's see how people take to it when they listen to it. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed it. I, I yeah, I, I'm gu- as guilty as anybody for thinking gra- for, for banding about the term gradual outcomes when I should be talking about gradual attributes. That's what I'm going to take forward from this. In fact, that's going to be my practical tip. I'm okay. reverting. My practical tip is gradual attributes, not gradual outcomes. Don't think about like, oh, they're going to have a sandwich. It'll be delicious. Think about the sandwiches they can describe tomorrow. Whoa. Whoa. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us on all of your favourite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. You can also follow us and get in touch via Twitter. I'm at Pedagodzilla. I'm at Mark Childs. If you've enjoyed the episode, uh, and we hope you did, or even found it useful, um, then we'd be much obliged, actually, if you could share it. Uh, share it on Twitter, uh, share the episodes via your feed, perhaps uh, launch a weather balloon with um, an MP3 player attached to it. And then wherever it's alights, some um, forgotten farmer will pick it up and be like, oh, you broken my play with this. Uh, but he'll listen. He'll be like, oh, you know more about graduate attributes. No, lovely. Anyway, uh, we hope you have a lovely, lovely evening slash afternoon slash morning slash day, depending on when you listen to this. And we'll see you next time on Bad Godzilla. Goodbye now. Bye. Also, this is my first of two recordings about sandworms this week. Oh. I'm doing tremors on Thursday. Oh. Ah.